0: Shadow
1: Talk. Hello and welcome to another episode of Digital Shadows Shadow Talk. In this week's episode, Microsoft announces a new vulnerability which could mean a bad day at the office. Mexican bank, BancoMex, unsuccessfully targeted, will provide a swift update on that, and we'll dive into the Triton malware targeting industrial control systems. All this coming up in the pod. Hello, listeners. Getting down under these threats today is Harriet Grun. Hello, Harriet.
2: Hi, Mike. How are you going today?
1: I'm very well, thank you. Uh, as usual, we've got Mark Tibbs with us. Hello, Mark. How's your week been? Hi, Mike. Been smashing. Thanks. How are you? Hey, yeah, I'm very, very well indeed. Thank you. And we've got um, Raf Amado with us as well. Hello.
3: Hi, Mike. How are you doing?
1: Yes, very well, thank you. Let's start off by giving, as usual, an update on Meltdown Inspector. what what's been going on, uh, have there been any significant updates to that, Mark?
0: Well, Pod Squad. since we last spoke a couple of weeks ago uh, when the industry was reeling with shock over the revelations of the two attack methods, we've seen some of the dust settle uh, and yet, uh, as yet, no really scary attacks have taken place in the wild, so no remote code execution, which would mean that bad guys could potentially get their hands on secret information in the kernel memory from afar. And that hasn't happened, uh, despite some pretty hyperbolic headlines. And in fact, many browsers have now patched updates to mitigate the threat of remote exploitation through JavaScript for Spectre, which everyone was getting a bit squeaky bummed about. Uh, But in terms of our reporting, we've seen a couple of low threat updates from our analyst team. They've been keeping their golden eyes peeled. Uh, On Monday, the team reported that German users were targeted by phishing emails posing as updates for the attacks. So those pesky cyber criminals will use anything to get the clicks. They're worse than your blog title clickbait, Mike. (laughs) In in this instance, we had emails that appeared to be coming from the German Federal Office for Information Security. Uh, So they're posing as a very legitimate-looking email. And they infected users with a piece of kit called Smokeloader, which is a crimeware downloader. Um, and it normally sort of um, helps you get infected with other nasties like banking trojans that help bad guys get into bank accounts and things like that. Uh, So that was one thing that we talked about on Monday, but probably the most intriguing story of the week related to uh, the bugs was a couple of websites that cropped up claiming um, uh, claiming to have information about further attack methods related to Spectrum Meltdown. So they continued with the Bond theme set out by Spectre. Come, and called-
1: come, come, Mr. Tibbs.
0: Yes, come, come, Mr. Tibbs. Uh, Solace attack and Skyfall attack. So uh, saying that there were some, some details, that the full details were under embargo and they were going to be published soon after chip manufacturers and the operating system vendors had patches out. Now, when we saw this, first of all, uh, we were pretty skeptical and we were always very critical in the analyst team to anything we see. Uh, so this was no exception. We had... No details of the source of the websites um, that were provided over so we didn't know who the security researchers were or um, who was responsible for the sites. The, when we looked into things like the who is details of the sites, we found them to be privacy protected, and they're on a shared server with a bunch of other websites there. Um, only set up on the 12th uh, of this month, so not, not very old. And there's been a lot of speculation on Twitter um, by um, uh, security commentators and journalists about you know, what the uh, veracity of these uh, this site was and whether it was one massive troll operation. Um, so that's, uh, that's certainly um, a possibility because we've also seen some of the journalists have reached out to chip manufacturers to ask them about these uh, sites. Uh, and the um, the upshot is that apparently no one seems to know anything about it. So uh, the question is, you know, what is this? Is it a giant big troll by someone uh, trying to um, invoke some sort of mass hysteria or, or 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 is it legit? If it's legit, you know, um, the question is, you know, what are the what are the actual attacks? Um, if it's not legit, it's like, what is the purpose really of the sites? Um, so yeah, so the jury's out until we see uh, see some updates, or maybe we'll never see any updates, and it'll just keep us, you know, on tenterhooks um, uh, forever.
1: Wow, um, keep an eye out for more James Bond-themed uh, claimed exploits, then.
0: It was always me, Mike. <laughs> The author of all your pain.
1: <laughs> and yeah, so let's move on. I can't handle this <laughs> all this pain anymore. Uh, let's talk about another vulnerability that may be more significant and more impactful. Uh, this week, proof of concept exploit code published for CVE twenty eighteen zero eight zero two. Harrier, why should people care about this particular vulnerability?
2: Okay, Mike. Great question. So I guess the short of the issue is that it's a remote code execution vulnerability which affects Microsoft Office, which is, as you all know, an extremely widely used software. And it has a working proof of concept exploit that was published to GitHub. So this vulnerability follows a similar one that was identified in November, which has been very quick, uh, picked up very quickly by threat actors, um, including the KS group.
1: So which there's one was that?
2: So the other C V E was C V E 2017 double eight two. Double one double eight. Cool. I know it's uh,
0: tricky to Yeah, they, <laughs> I know, they they should all have uh I know, you know logos and and great names. I shouldn't think they? yeah,
2: there should there's, be more James Bond them all. James Bond themed uh vulnerabilities. Easy, easy to for remember. Us. Exactly, exactly should come up with some catchy names ourselves. Okay, so there's a few interesting other points about this vulnerability. So it affects a very similar process to the previous vulnerability, the 1, 1, Um, But exploits of uh, 0, 0802 0, could override the patches that were released for the previous vulnerability. And also there's another interesting element to it. While the proof of concept, when it was tested by our security engineers, after a weaponized document would be opened, it still would require a user to run a malicious executable. Um, There are videos online of people exploiting um, this vulnerability where it runs a malicious file without needing user interaction. So the example videos online do have uh, an executable file being a calculator. So obviously, if this is picked up by threat actors, the implications of that would be much more serious than just helping you out with the maths. And as we've seen in recent campaigns, multiple Office vulnerabilities can be sometimes hosted on a single document. So threat actors will try and use multiple uh, exploits. Potentially, if one might be patched, another one might work. So the POC also that was released for this vulnerability contained an exploit for the double double to as well. So there is a chance that we might see uh, kind of threat actors using multiple exploits in a single document to try and sort of have a better chance of gaining a foothold uh, through delivering those uh, malicious lures. And also, potentially, if an exploit for this vulnerability is able to be delivered without requiring user interaction to then run a malicious file, um, it could be an alternative to macros for threat actors to deliver to gain a foothold and then deliver further uh, malicious executable files. But yeah, thankfully for this one, uh, Microsoft have released security updates um, for it, and we would suggest that you apply these as soon as
3: possible. I mean, they. That happened last month, so with 11882, um, I think it's quite important to draw out. When that first came out, the proof of concept for it, um, patches were released, but then Mm. when our intelligence analysts were basically looking at all the reporting around it, we, in very quick succession, saw four different campaigns, two of them with quite high-profile groups, um, apparently incorporating the, the exploit for this vulnerability. So it seems to be when a proof of exploit for something like this becomes released, um, it can very quickly snowball. So, we haven't mm-hmm. seen this one yet necessarily snowball to that extent, but it's quite a good indicator that other threat groups might start using this quite quickly. So, that sort of underscores like why patching something like this for a software that's so ubiquitous is quite important. Yeah, that's, the, that's yeah. the key, isn't it? It's Microsoft Office. Everyone uses Microsoft Office. You expect to see a Microsoft Office document. Mm-hmm. And this is something really yeah, like, exactly. attractive for a lot of yeah. mm-hmm. oh, high value exploit
2: yeah for
1: sure. in, in terms of things that organisations should think about when looking to prioritize which patches they start with one thing that you could tie into that is has it been weaponized A threat actors talking about um this github proof of concept already have we seen any evidence of that or it being adopted in the wild
2: um so currently at the moment uh the initial reporting did suggest that it had been targeted in the wild but we didn't have any further insight into who was doing the targeting the actors behind it um, at the time of reporting, so there was a file uploaded to VirusTotal on the 14th of January which did contain an exploit for the vulnerability, um, but we're yet to see more of this at the moment. But However, as we just mentioned, sort of given the campaigns that it evolved after the proof of concept release for the previous very similar vulnerability, we do expect that it will be picked up in the coming weeks, uh, potentially uh, distinctly by itself or potentially used in conjunction with the other exploits for the other vulnerability as well. So, um, yeah, we, we do expect to see this being picked up. And, of course, lots of users won't patch their software, won't update their software. So, of course, it will be a valuable uh, target for uh, threat actors.
1: Awesome. Let's talk about our third vulnerability of the week, and that is a vulnerability to Arc processors, RAF, with Mirai Ikuru. This is another IoT botnet. Isn't that a bit 2016? What's the difference between this and, say, well mirai and more recently satori
3: yeah you're right mike the sort of mirai story keeps continuing on so i think a couple of weeks ago on your first pod you talked about satori which is another mirai variant so we've got another one come out um will be reported on this week called mirai okiru um i think that's taken i it. mark you're the resident japanese sensei i don't know
0: (laughs) i suppose i don't know what it means what does it mean
3: I think it means uh, wake up or awaken. Oh,
0: that's right. Yes. Yeah. Okay.
3: Um, So we'll say Akiru for now. So Akiru affects Linux devices. And as you said, specifically targets ARC CPUs. Um, So these are CPUs located in a whole host of different devices, mobile devices, TVs, audio devices, apparently even in some car systems as well. Um, So the reporting sort of got quite alarmist for a while. It said over 1.5 billion devices have these embedded processors. Um, in them and they're shipped annually. So there was all this fear that actors could develop a very large-scale botnet with the malware. Um, We haven't seen any confirmed attacks to date. What's kind of interesting, although still a bit unclear, was Security Affairs, one of these cybersecurity publications, they did some secondary reporting on this. um, And then 20 minutes later, they apparently suffered a DDoS. Um, Could be coincidental. Apparently they were distracted for an hour. We don't know if it was Akira. It could have been someone using something else for the DDoS. Um, but as of yet, we haven't seen any large-scale attacks from this. There's no POC code out there currently, unlike Mirai and Satori. Um, But your question was, how is this different from Satori? So both this and Satori target Linux devices, but the difference is in the way they're both coded and the way they target victim systems. So there's many different differences between them. One way is the way the config is encrypted. The other one is a difference in the exploit code itself and and the way they, they pan out. But but really, I mean,
0: it's the same as the uh, the last story they had on Satori, isn't it? The last Satori was you know in 2016, was it twenty sixteen when we saw those big attacks mm. against DNS? Right, yeah. okay, DNS Yeah, and and all we've seen now is just kind of um, glimpses of these botnets being built. We've not actually seen any attacks unless that one on Security Affairs was you know launched by uh, one of these botnets. We don't we've not seen anything big disabling or anything like that. It's just Really, we're st- we're seeing the preparation, or we're seeing researchers, you know, um, finding evidence that uh, these botnets have been built, uh, with still no kind of like, you know, uh, bad impact. I suppose at the moment.
3: No, you're completely right, Mark. I think since the DNS in 2016, this sort of like the shadow of Mirai still lives on, and the reporting gets quite sort of hyperbolic. People talk about 1.5 billion devices being at risk, but I in reality, like very, very unlikely that all of those would be incorporated yeah. into, into a single botnet. It's yeah. um, a good
0: story as well, isn't it? People like to hear about
3: giant yeah, botnets. People still remember the DNS, especially when it goes away from securities or publications to mainstream media. It's still it's quite an attractive story that people could still remember. So it's a looming threat, but is it? do we know if it's going to be... No, I think, it, from my view, what's more likely... I mean, yeah, obviously you might see some DDoS, some some disrupt, disruptive attacks from, from a botnet like this, but it's interesting. So Satori, since we reported on it a few weeks ago... The latest development with that is that it's being used for cryptocurrency mining. So, finally, the botnet has been sort of repurposed, and now it's targeting machines with something called the Claymore crypto miner to replace Ethereum wallets with wallets controlled by attackers themselves. It's kind so, of a, a so,
0: low-risk um, alternative to other types of malware, isn't it? I suppose because, like, what are you doing that's so bad? You're using someone's like processing, uh, processing power. power you're not stealing money from them well you sort of not not directly stealing money from them you know you're not stopping their service you're just like hijacking them to use it to make money yeah. i think a lot of people would see that as being kind of like preferable like low risk
3: preferable to a ddos attack i mean yeah it will affect your cpu power a little bit but, but, i mean for the
0: criminals as well the risk for them it's a lower risk for them, is yeah. it i don't really know if it is a low risk for them but it might be perceived as being a lower risk for them to do that kind of
3: that kind of activity no, definitely. So, yeah, I think with this, I mean, looking forward, I think we'll probably see it used for purposes like that, such as cryptocurrency mining, where botnets are quite um, one of the main methods people use to mine, rather than anything like another DNS. I mean, could be wrong on that. You know? yeah.
1: Absolutely. Now, that's, that was our, our last kind of vulnerability update, but there have been some notable attacks this week, and one of those was a Mexican bank bank. Um, Bancomext, I think, Mark, and that was a failed attempt to target their SWIFT system.
0: Yeah, yeah that, uh, so I think it wasn't quite this week. The reporting it came out sort of this beginning of this week. Um, but yeah, the, the Mexican government-run uh, export bank Bancomext was reportedly targeted in an unsuccessful... Uh, attack attackers were targeting Swift, the Swift platform, which is a global messaging service used by uh, financial institutions to transfer money. Now, the reason why this is, uh, you know, pricks up everybody's ears, especially in the banking industry, is because of uh, an attack that happened in February 2016 against the Bangladeshi central bank, which was the first example of the Swift platform being. Um, abused or being kind of subverted uh, by um, by criminal actors. Basically, back then they were successful in stealing 80 so sort of creating the conditions for fraudulent transfer to be made of 81 million dollars. And since then, um, there've been lots of further attacks that have been either attempted. I, I think there's been another successful one as well, yeah, in Ecuador, I believe. You know, so there's been a bunch of uh, banks around the world that have kind of been targeted. Um, uh, by threat actors trying to make huge big transfers of money of using interbanking um, systems and that obviously is of grave concern to big banking institutions um, who want to make sure that that does not happen to them so this next report you know everyone sort of uh, stood up and took notice of it uh, because I think since then there's been an awful lot of work that's gone on um, to try and protect uh, banks from these kind of attacks and every you know Presumably, every banking um, institution is very now very aware of them, and they are taking steps to kind of mitigate the risks of, of this happening. Um, but I guess what's interesting about this as well is that back in the day, um, so this is, I can't remember what it was, but it was in 2016, uh, following that attack, there was some uh, analysis of some of the malware code that had been found on the networks of various banks, I guess it, I guess it was, that sort of linked bits of those code to a group called the Lazarus Group. The Lazarus Group are very interesting... Um, threat group um, who have been variously attributed to the North Korean state because of code similarities with other attacks they've done. So the Sony Pictures attack I think was uh, in 2014 um, was the kind of classic example. But they've also been seen to be targeting a lot of South Korean and US entities as well uh, throughout the years. Um, and yeah, uh, so that's uh, what everyone is kind of uh, worried about. There's no actual, no real very little evidence uh, or very little sort of public information about this latest attack and whether that's anything to do with the Lazarus Group at all, but sort of in an interesting twist, we did see that on the 8th of January, which is just before this happened, there were some reports in the Mexican media about some infections of a telecommunications company with a Lazarus Group-linked piece of malware called Full Chill, which I believe is a, a remote access Trojan. So we, you know, we we, we can't say they're linked, but it is a very interesting timing of that discovery um, and this attack. So uh, are the Lazarus group up to no good again? Well, I mean, you pretty much assume they're always up to no good, I think, because they've been uh, active for so long.
1: Constantly resurrecting their activity.
0: Yeah, yeah, and Lazarus group, you know, they've
3: been, what else, other attacks have they been uh, They were recently attributed by um, the intelligence services to the WannaCry campaign. WannaCry,
0: people have... Um, said that uh, Lazarus Group uh, were involved in that. I mean, I think with all these things, we are very careful about attribution because, hey, attribution is hard. Um, and, you know, uh, code similarities in malware is obviously one technical indicator, but malware can be reused, it can be resold, people can, can share code. You know, there's, 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 there are many different alternative hypotheses as to um, uh, the attribution of Lazarus Group in all these different attacks. Um so, yeah, but I mean it is you know for uh, threat intelligence uh, analysts, I think Lazarus group is a really interesting case study, and uh, uh one that um i'm sure that many organizations will be modeling threats against uh you know what what should, what would happen if we um if we were subject to targeting by this group um how would we make sure that we weren't um uh, vulnerable and, and things like that so yeah, kind of an interesting story, albeit probably like three lines.
1: Rafa, one thing we do know a bit more about is uh, Triton malware. Yeah, so, um, I think
3: it's best to give a bit of context here. So, in December, a new malware targeting ICS systems, so that's industrial control systems, which are used in many different sort of sectors, manufacturing, but also quite importantly, critical infrastructure. Um, so, this malware was called Triton as it targeted a very specific type of controller um, called Triconex. So what happened there was attackers achieved remote access to engineering workstations at a critical infrastructure organization, uh, which we now learned was based in Saudi Arabia. And they basically then used the malware to reprogram the controllers. This accidentally caused them to fail and then automatically initiated a safe shutdown, which sort of shut down that part of the industrial process. Um, So this was significant for a number of reasons. The main one is that, look, ICS targeting is not actually that common in the larger scheme of things. Um, this is a very specific type of malware targeting, a very specific specific type of component. So from that, we can deduce it's probably quite a well-coordinated and sophisticated actor that's behind this. Um, at the time, a lot of the reporting and the analysis around it said this look, this is likely some sort of preparatory attack, uh, testing out capabilities for something in the future. Now what's happened this week, which is really quite interesting is that an important piece of that Triton malware, a particular zip file, was publicly released by someone who uploaded it to VirusTotal. Whoops. Uh, now, that was removed quite swiftly, but in that time, multiple people actually managed to download that file, which has meant the ICS community has got quite, quite worried about this, understandably quite concerned. I mean, there's the potential now for other attackers or criminals whoever it might be to get hold of it and try and repurpose it. But how easy is that to actually do? Like, I mean, that, that sounds tough. <laughs> no it is, and it is. And that's why I said attacks on critical infrastructure, while infrastructure, well, they sound like really, obviously they could be really disruptive and a big deal, they're relatively uncommon, and that's for a number of reasons. Um, main, one of the main ones is these are usually quite safety critical systems, which means they have both a blend of technical or computer controls as well as physical controls. So you, these areas are quite well staffed. Um, if something starts to go wrong or an alarm is set off, then you can physically turn off a lot of these systems. Layered approach to security. A layered approach yeah. to security. So that means it's quite difficult to perform a disruptive attack. And it's not impossible, but it makes it more difficult. And then the other thing, um, which is probably what you're getting at, Mark, is it's very knowledge specific as well. I mean, your everyday cyber criminal threat actor, will not understand how to control this type of equipment. And also, what's the payoff for them?
0: Mm-hmm. Like, what they're going to exactly. do? I suppose the only thing I can think that they could do like a real proper cyber criminal motivated by money is extort uh, an organization. Yeah. You know, they're not, yeah, like to disrupt it or whatever like that. But you know, it's not quick to monetize. It has to be quite a big job. There's
3: actually easier ways of making money. Exactly. And even if you did want to go down the route, you just said there are really big legal ramifications for targeting critical infrastructure so that's an added sort of like this is like um, uh, You know, uh, it's an attack on the state. Or, yeah. You know. Yeah, so that disincentivizes it even more if you're a financially motivated actor It's probably one of the last things you're gonna want to be doing because of, One it's hard to monetize and two, the payoff for it is, is really low and the risks are really high. Yeah um, Yeah, I thought it's just an interesting one to point out because I am sure yeah. a lot of people in the ICS community are quite worried about something like this
0: Yeah
1: Right. We are at an end for the podcast this week, I'm afraid. Um, So we're going to have to say goodbye. Goodbye, Mark. Cheerio, pod squad. Goodbye, Harriet.
2: Bye, Mike. See you, Raph.
1: Thanks for having me, Mike. All right. Thank you very much. Thanks to everybody involved for another podcast. To learn more about Digital Shadows' research, please visit resources.digitalshadows.com.